Well, we are going to continue through the book of 1 Peter. So if you want to turn there, we uh, did the first half of 1 Peter last week, and we will be in the last half, verses 12 through 25 uh, this week, or 13 through 25. And you guys could be praying for me, man. I have been sick all week, and this is some exciting stuff, but I am lacking energy. And so you can pray for a little bit of energy this morning um, because, man, the things we are looking at are, are exciting, and they're purposeful, and they're meaningful, and they're challenging, but they're so good for us this morning. Um, if you weren't here that last week, uh, or maybe if you were and you just want a quick recap, let, let me tell you what's going on, all right? You've got the Apostle Peter writing a letter to several churches in what's called um, Asia Minor. And so this letter is making its way to different churches, and these particular churches in this particular region have started to, to feel some persecution for uh, carrying the name of Jesus. Now, they're not being put to death, but it's, it, it's probably a little of what we're starting to feel in America. And if you're from the north uh, part of America, it's what's already happening. Happening, right? We're kind of being marginalized, pushed to the sides, saying, hey, if you stand on biblical truth, you're, you're uh, someone that hates other people. Those types of things are starting to happen. And so Peter is writing this letter to go, hey, there, there's a few things that you've got to remember so that you can stand strong and be courageous and have hope in the midst of hard things. And the first thing he begins to talk about is that we've been born again. Right, that we've been given a new name. Even Peter himself was given this new name. He's no longer Simon, the one that had made all these mistakes, but he's Peter, the rock that, that Jesus was now using to build his church. And for you and I in Christ, if you've been born again, you've been given a new name, a new purpose. And part of what comes with that is that he says that you and I are now pilgrims or exiles, strangers, sojourners in this current world. And what that means is that there, there is never going to be a day where you and I as believers fit in this earth correctly, all right? We are always going to be a little bit at odds with the culture and the things of the earth because no longer is this place our home. It's part of the beautiful thing that happened in Jesus saying, you're mine. I'm giving you a new home, a better place, a better name, a better life, a better purpose. And so he tells us that we've been born again to a living hope in Jesus Christ, a hope that there is no circumstance that the earth can, can afford you that will take away your peace, your joy, and your hope if it's found in Jesus. He is the reward. He is our living hope. And then finally, it talked about that we have this future inheritance being guarded, kept for you. We talked last week, like it's, it's like a, a seat at the table of the Lord in heaven that has your name on it and no one else can sit in that seat. He is keeping it for you, waiting for you to arrive so that you receive the inheritance that he's given you. This is the outcome of our faith. This is the reward. Jesus is the reward. And so as we continue to pick up, this theme is still going. What, what Peter's about to speak to now is how do we respond? What do our lives look like? What does that propel us to be as people if this is our inheritance, if we're born again, if we have a new name? And so he begins in verse 13 and he says this, therefore, right? All of that recap, because of that, there's a few commands. One, Prepare, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We have three commands that Peter's given us, but they're, they're birthed kind of on that last com command of this. You and I have to set our hope fully on the revelation of Jesus Christ. There, there's some good things in that. One, what that means is even though you and I have received this grace, there is a future grace to be given to us. There is more to be had in the Lord than what you have today. 
And so what's cool is when you think about, well, what is that then? What is this, this future grace of the revelation of Jesus? We're with him. What do we receive in that moment? Well, one, it's not your justification, right? You've already, if you're in Christ, been declared holy and righteous. So you've received that grace. It's not your sanctification. It's not this growing you into the image of Jesus. He's doing that here and now. But this future grace is what the Bible calls our glorification, that finally you and I will be made perfect and holy and without sin and we will be in the presence of God. I won't have to go through a week of being sick anymore. Like those days are done, right? Like the pain and the sorrow and the trial and the things that are difficult about this world, they'll be gone. And your struggles, those things that you hate about life, those things that continue to rear themselves up in your life will finally be put to death once and all for all. And this is the future grace that Peter is saying, you've got to set your mind on these things. If you're going to live for the glory of God, if your life is going to have purpose, today, today what he's going to really speak to us about is the idea that you and I have a choice as believers for our life to matter or, or, or really just to be futile to have no purpose. And he says, if you want your life to matter, if you want to walk in what God has for you, here's the things you're going to do. You're going to set your hope on this, this future grace, this, this, this um, a greater outcome to come, even than what we have now. And there's two things that we're to do. And the first is this, preparing your minds for action. This actually kind of translates to that idea of girding up your loins. You and I don't dress uh, like Middle Easterners did back in Jesus' time, but they all had uh, long flowing garments, right? And so if they were going to work, if they were going to exercise, if they were going to do any type of task, they had to gird themselves up. That means they gathered up their clothes, they tied them up so that they were ready for action. And, and what Peter is telling you and I is this same idea is true for, for us this morning. That every morning we wake up, he's saying, you need to gird up your loins and prepare your mind for action. If you don't do this, if this isn't a rhythm in your life, if it's not a practice of who we are to continually gird up and say, I'm ready for work, like I'm, I'm ready to do what God has for me today, I'm, I'm ready to put in the grind to, to, to make him known, then we won't. And so he says daily, we're girding ourselves up with this, our, our eyes fixed on this future hope. And then he uses this phrase, and being sober-minded. It, it's this idea that it's possible as believers that you and I can become so intoxicated with the world that it, that it kind of puts us in a drunken stupor. Uh, it's a lot like being drunk, right? What, what is, when, when, when you become drunk, there, there's things that happen. Your, your senses are dulled. Uh, for a moment, you don't have to think about the things that really matter anymore. Uh, if you were anything like I was as a young person, you made really bad decisions during that time. Excuse reality. And, and it clouds priority. And so what he's saying is that that same thing that happens in drunkenness can happen if your hope is fixed on the world. It, it will put you in a state of stupor. It will put you in a place where you will get fixed on other things that may even begin to consume you, may even begin to draw you in, and you're not able to see clearly anymore the purpose that God has for you. And all of a sudden, we find that our life is not accomplishing what the Lord desires. Thomas Schreiner, in his commentary on this section, says this about this particular passage. There's a way of living that becomes dull to the reality of God. 
that is anesthetized, or that idea of, of anesthesia, right, by the attractions of this world. When people are lulled into such drowsiness, they lose sight of Christ's future revelation of, him, of himself and concentrate only on fulfilling their earthly desires. You know, I was reading through even Charles Spurgeon has a lot to say about 1 Peter. And one of the things he said when, when it got to this place was, you, you know, as we continue as the people of God to look at Scripture, there comes a point where we have to respond or not. I think sometimes we love to come to church, kind of hear something maybe that even challenge us, get a new nugget, kind of do the thing, build our knowledge up, and yet there's no transformation. There's no actual even obedience to what God is calling us to do. And there's some, there's some hard things that God is commanding you and I to do this morning. And one of the things he's saying is you, you need to gird up your loins and have your mind ready for action. You need to be a person that is setting and fixing your gaze on what Christ desires for you, and you better walk around sober-minded or you will be lulled into the things of the world. And so he says, man, for you and I this morning, we have to respond. And so here, here's the question that I think I would love for you to ask yourself, that I'm asking my own self. What are the real areas of your life that dull your walk with Jesus? Like, what are the real things that steal away the purpose that God really wants for you, that distract you from the moment, that occupy your mind, put your hand to work, but really you're not accomplishing anything for God? What, what are those things? And, and how powerful and freeing would it be if we could be real with the Spirit of God this morning and say, man, these are the areas uh, where I'm not sober-minded. These are the areas where the world begins to intoxicate my mind and my heart and my desire, and I want to give that to you. Peter's saying, man, if you'll do that, you'll walk in the purposes that God has for it. But if you're not careful, this world will continue to glitter, and it will continue to, to call you in. It, it, and that's the thing about the enemy. Like, Satan is crafty. And the things of the world, they provide something for us. Okay, you and I would not run after them. Peter would not have to say, hey, look, quit getting intoxicated by the things of the world and losing your purpose in life if it was something that we wanted to reject automatically. And there, there are so many things that, that the world offers that may give us momentary pleasure, may give us momentary escape. But in the end, their, their way is destruction. In the end, we lose out on what God desires for us if we're not careful. And so you and I may need to ask the question, Lord, what, what are even the good things in my life that really are distracting me from the purposes of you? What are the good things that really, actually, I really enjoy doing that maybe have too much of my heart's attention this morning? Maybe these are the things I'm putting above you instead of putting you on the throne this morning? I think we have to ask these questions. And so he continues and he says, okay, then, then what does it look like if we're going to do this? How do we walk? It, what happens when our gaze is fixed on Jesus? And so he has an, another command that's very difficult. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. 
Now, before we jump into this idea of what it means that God is commanding you and I to live a life that is holy as his, as his people, I love that Peter begins in verse 14 with, as obedient children, right? He didn't say, as my slave. He didn't say, as my subject. He didn't say, hey, if you, if you want me to, to, if you want to be my child, do these things. He said, because you're mine, because you're born again, because you've been given a new name, because I love you as a son loves, as a father loves a son or a daughter, Man, would you, would you be obedient with your life? Would you look at the opportunity to follow me with all that you have as a joy and a privilege and a pleasure? And when he calls us to walk holy, what he's doing is saying, hey, I created you. I know what will satisfy your soul the most. And so will you follow me in these things? I love that this call to be holy, he says, look, look at me. What's the example? Jesus is the example. He's like, you, you've been given the example of what it looks like to show unconditional love. You've been given the example of what it means to serve those that really don't deserve your service. You've been given the example of what it looks like to forgive people 70 times 70, right? He goes, look at me and follow who I am and what I've called you to be. This is what it looks like to be a child of God. And in the end, you'll find life. There's this phrase in 14 that says, do not be conformed to the passion of your former ignorance. What he's saying to you and I is that at some level, um, not that we had a free pass, but before you knew Jesus, to set your hope on other things, we didn't know any better. Like there was a point before you knew Christ, if you're in Jesus this morning, that the world was all you had. And, And you were chasing after those things going, hopefully this will give me what I need. And the reason you turned to Christ is because you went, there's nothing out there. Like everything is a well that just runs dry in the end. And you found Jesus and you said, man, I, I, want, to, I want to have life. These things that I'm running after, these things that maybe aren't holy, that don't look like Jesus, are really creating destruction in my relationships and in my life. And I want freedom. And you found Jesus and we're, we're transformed. I saw a, uh, a commercial the other day, and I'm probably making up the statistics at this point, but I'm going to give them to you anyway, like they're facts. Um, it said something along the lines of, in 1950, uh, one in every 50% of Americans, men, smoke cigarettes in the 1950. 50% of American men smoke cigarettes in the 1950. And then it said something like now that we figured out, hey, that that kills you and creates cancer and there's lung cancer and all these things that have come from it, there's about 25%. There's been a, a big majority of people have started saying, okay, well, that's not good for you and we probably don't need to do that. Um, I, I thought for a moment this idea of, of ignorance, like former ignorance. I, I, um, my granddad on my dad's side, I didn't really get to meet him. He died when I was one. So my only memories of my papa is I have a, uh, I have a VHS tape and, and <laughs> my parents are bringing me over to their little house in East Texas. And uh, my granddad, he was a large dude, um, military guy, but, uh, and they said he was like jacked and just a man's man, all these things. But all I have memory wise of him was he was on this couch and all these videos slowly dying. You could just tell, you know, he was in his last months and the videos of me as a one-year-old coming over. And I look at that, and he died from lung cancer, from smoking. And I thought, man, I just wonder, and, and this is getting out there a little bit, right? But there, were, there was this ignorance to what he was doing and what it could cause, right? For him to die in his early 50s, probably maybe late 40s. And I think, man, if he could rewind time 
and someone could go, hey, look, I know you were ignorant to this, but I want to I let you in just for a moment to see what this will lead to. And at some point, this, this little habit, and this isn't about smoking today, <laughs> but, but this little habit is going to lead you to a place that is going to rob you of getting to grow old with your kids and see your grandkids and have life. I just wonder if he was no longer ignorant to that anymore if he would have made a different decision. I mean, maybe he wouldn't have, but if he wouldn't have, wouldn't we look from the outside? If he went back and knew all that and just said, I don't really care, you and I would go, you're a fool. Like, you're a fool to die in your late 40s and miss out on 40 plus years of life with your family for the sake of a cigarette. What Peter's telling you and I this morning is is we're not going to be conformed anymore to our old ignorance that we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And yet, is, is it not often <laughs> that you and I continue to go back to our former conformity of life? And even though we know the end result, we've been seeing what the future will hold. We've, we've, we've seen the promises of God. You, you do these things, this, this is the result. You, you, you follow your own desires, here's the result. You turn from the Lord, here's the result. And we go, either I don't care, I don't believe that really, or maybe we just go, hey, there's more time. And the Bible would call us a fool. No different than if my granddad could have seen the future and said, hey, there's a chance to live another 45 years. And so Peter's saying, hey, as you gird up your loins, as you are sober-minded, and it will be the only moments with your gaze fixed on Jesus, this future grace, that's the only way the world's not going to intoxicate you, and you're going to turn back to things that you already have been freed from, the ignorance of what they do to you. I have more for you, the Lord says. And so he continues, and he says, verse 16, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, so he's saying, if you are a believer, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deed, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the, ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. So now he's gonna go, is, is the Lord trustworthy? All right, if, if you and I are gonna say, hey, I've been born again, I'm gonna gird up my loins, I'm gonna keep my eyes clear, I'm gonna be focused on him, I'm not gonna live a futile life, I'm not gonna return back to ignorance, Jesus is better, I'm gonna trust you with everything. He's about to remind us of why he is trustworthy. He begins by saying, conduct yourself with fear. Now, I, I think for a lot of us, when we think about fear, this idea of fearing the Lord, it's this idea of judgment, this idea of condemnation, but really we know that scripture teaches us a totally different idea of the fear of God for the believer. In fact, I wanna remind you in 1 John 4, 15 through 19, here, here's what it talks about uh, that, that the love of God has done in that type of fear. It says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he is in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us, God is love. 
And whoever abides in, in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but for perfect fear, perfect love cast out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. One, I would say this, there's probably a handful of you guys, because it's just in our nature, that still view your relationship with the Lord in this light. There is still a, a fear of condemnation and judgment, even though you have already been forgiven in Christ. And that kind of neutralizes you and holds you in this place of not really wanting to walk close with the Lord. And you need to be reminded this morning that perfect love cast out fear. So Peter's not talking about judgment or condemnation. What he's talking about is this awe, this reverence, this idea that, hey, I'm about to remind you what God spent to redeem you, what he was willing to pay so that you and I might be saved. And he's saying, I want that to, to produce this holy, reverent fear in you that you go, I want to live holy. I want to live obedient. I want to trust you with everything. He says, here's what it was. You were ransomed from your futile ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with silver or gold, which is pretty valuable to us. We spend our days toiling for silver and gold. And he's going, man, not even that, but the precious blood of Christ. And there's this phrase like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. What he's going back to is the old sacrificial system. And you and I would be called to bring our first fruits, the very best of what we had. And so that would be, if you had lambs, would be your perfect spotless lamb. You'd bring that to the Lord. And, and what Peter's trying to tell you is, is God brought his very best for you. He was willing to give his absolute best to redeem you and save you and give you this inheritance. It wasn't silver and gold. It wasn't even a lamb. It was his son. And he said, man, I, I'm willing to let my son die on your account so that you can be ransomed, so that you can have purpose, so that you can have a new name, so you can have a seat at the table, so that you can walk in this new life of holiness. He gave his all. And so Peter's saying, man, as we walk through this pilgrimage, <laughs> through this sojourning, through this time where we really don't fit in, he's going, let that be awe-inspiring to move you towards obedience that Jesus gave everything so that you could have everything. And there's something that he ransomed us from that, that I want to spend a moment on. And in fact, I've, I've read this verse a thousand times before and it kind of, I passed over this, but in 18 it says, knowing that th this precious blood of Jesus ransomed, uh, ransomed you and I from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. The word feudal means this, incapable of producing any useful result, incapable of producing any useful result or pointless. Is it possible that as we turn back and are conformed to the things that we were once ignorant to, that our lives now become pointless? That if we're not sober-minded, if we're not girding ourselves up for action daily, that you and I will toil and spin our wills and probably work really, really hard with your life and yet it be pointless, absolutely. In fact, it reminds me of the parable that Jesus gave in Luke chapter 12, verse 16 through 21 about this rich farmer. 
And my, my wife's dad's a farmer, and dude, that, that dude works harder than any person I know. Right? So I, th- what we need to think about in this moment is this was not a lazy dude. In fact, this was a guy that probably toiled and worked his entire life. But in the end, it becomes futile. In Luke 12, 16 through 21, 16, it says, Jesus, he told him a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. That in itself is work. <laughs> and there I will store my, all my grain and my goods. And if you underline in your Bible, here's the part where things go south. And I will say to my soul, right? He's not saying, hey, look, I've been blessed by the Lord. I've been given good things. I have, I have great resources to continue to enjoy and to use for his glory. He's saying, no, uh, the things that I'm putting in this barn are good for my soul. This is what's gonna sustain my life. This is where my hope is now found, that I have power and I have all my needs met in what's in my barns. And he says, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things that you, you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Right, this isn't about having things. It's not even about being rich. It's about not having the things of the earth and not being rich towards the Lord. It's about misplaced faith. It's about wanting more and more things and grinding through all your days to acquire more and more of whatever. Doesn't even have to be material things, but you're going, I'm gonna spend my life Giving, pouring it out so that I can have this. And in the end, he says, if you're not rich towards God, it is futile and pointless. And can I tell you the, the narrative that is taught to you and I is, is anti this, right? We, we live in a place that says you want bigger, you want better, get more, make a name for yourself, spend your time running. Out. Let, let me tell you how I know this is true. That we were taught and we're, we're kind of almost brainwashed with more and better and bigger and keep going. I went to Sam's this weekend <laughs> and for the first time in a long time with my family. And I grabbed the, 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 the uh, shopping cart and that dude could fit like two grown men in the place where one baby's supposed to spit, sit. And I'm like, this is a crazy store. They had a five gallon bucket of dill pickles, a five gallon. I was like, and I'm going, and you're in there long enough, it starts doing what the culture does. I was like, maybe I need that five gallon bucket of dill pickles. I don't want to run out. Like that's a, it's only $40, but that's like two year supply, right? That's in us. There's something that, that happens over and over that the world is saying, look, go continue to spin your wheels so that you can have more. That, that, that store, I'm not against that. In fact, we got three kids and piled up the cart, and I'm like, okay, we got food for six years. If the, I don't know. Now we're, we're like preppers. I don't know. Uh, but regardless, here's an interesting fact. Here's one more way I know this is happening, and I know that interest rates and all these things are different, but I find it interesting that since the 1990s, the, the average square foot of a home is 22 to 37 percent bigger than it was in the 1990s in America, and the family has less children than it did back then. So families are getting smaller, but our houses are getting bigger. And again, this has nothing to do with, it's a bad thing to build a big house, okay? 
It could be. I'm not saying it, it is or it isn't. But what this is teaching us is that if we're not careful, we are being inundated in a world that says, spin your wheels so that you can have a couple hundred more square foot. Spin your wheels so that your barns can be a little bit fuller. Set your hope on the things that Amazon's bringing to your front door today. And in the end, Peter's reminding us that's pointless and it's futile if we don't have the love of God. And we could spend our life as believers working really hard, staying super busy and accomplishing nothing lasting. And that is not a life I think you want, nor that I want. This is part of what Christ has freed us to do, is to have something, to be a part of something that is eternal, that will last forever. And so Peter finishes this, this section by telling us what that is. Look what he says in 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. So he's going, you've been made pure. This is for the believer if you're in Christ and you're doing these things and you're girding your loins and you're walking sober-minded, you're setting your hope on the future grace that will be afforded to you and I in Jesus, he says, then for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed. He's going, hey, look, the first time you were born, that seed, all it did was put us on a time clock that's t uh, continuing to drop the sand of time, and eventually it's done, and there's no hope at the end. He's going, that, that was the first seed, but we haven't been born of that. We've been born again to a new hope, something that's eternal and lasting forever. In fact, when those sands finally drop their last sand, it just begins eternity of where we're supposed to be. And so it goes, not but, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. It says, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers and the flower fails. Can, I mean, can you attest to that? that? That your best days of glory were just pretty fleeting in the end? <laughs> Like the best things we've done in and of ourselves that aren't eternal, like they may, may have been awesome, created some great joy for a moment, but they're just gone. He says, there's one thing that lasts forever and it's the word of the Lord. It remains forever. And he says, what is this word of the Lord? It's the good news that was preached to you. It's the gospel message of Jesus. Do you want to spin your wills in your life, not be futile? He says, gird, gird up your loins and be active in your faith. There's one thing that you have that's eternal and will last forever, and it's the gospel message that people need to hear. He's saying, live your life and affect people's life for eternity by showing them who Christ is. And so how do you do that? You, you gotta live holy. You gotta look like Jesus to people. You gotta love people from a sincere heart. Here's the question as we end today that I, that I think would be helpful. One, I wanna ask you this. In the victories that you've had in your walk with Christ, right? So the places where you do look holy, right? I believe all of us have these moments. Like what are, the, what are some of the sins that he's given you victory over? What are, what are some of the places you're like, man, I don't look like what I used to look like. Praise God. What are, the, what are the places that you poured yourself out for Christ and you went, this cost, it was hard, but I gave my all for Jesus. I want you to think in your own mind about those places in your life. And I would, I would venture to say that it probably affirms what the, what the Bible says is true, that those are some of the most joyous places in your life. Those are the most satisfying things that you've been a part of. 
And so the question we've got to ask ourselves this morning then, and it's a powerful one if we'll be obedient as Spurgeon talked about, like where does our life still look unholy? Where are the places that we're conforming back to our, our old ignorance? Either we don't care, we don't believe, or we just say, hey, there's time down the road. Because what Jesus is trying to offer you is that, that fullness of life. That feeling you have when you think about the places where you've seen victory in your life. The, the purpose you had when your life counted for something eternal. And Peter is pleading with you and I that Jesus has defeated death, sin, and the grave to give us a future hope, yes, but also life for today so that your life is not pointless. <laughs> that we can have purpose. But I'm telling you daily, if you and I don't, our default is going to be to be busy with the things that glitter in the world. And in the end, it'll be futile. But we can live out this amazing purpose that God has in Christ. If we'll gird up our mind, make it ready for action, be sober-minded and set our hope fully on this future grace that will be revealed to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. And so God, we thank you that you've given us something that the world can't give us. <laughs> you've also given us something that the world can't take from us. And so, God, it's difficult, even in my own life, God, it is difficult to not be sidetracked, to not return back into ignorance and to, to get busy with things that are pointless. And so, God, I know you've given us all jobs and things to do, and there's going to be the mundane things of life that will come tomorrow, but I pray that in the midst of them, we're not just going through it pointless, with a pointless attitude, but we're... we're we're walking with a mind renewed by you. We're walking with purpose, some, something eternal, something that's not gonna fade as the, as the flower falls off, the petals fall off the, the, the stem of the flower. You've called us into your kingdom and your name, your glory. And so God, I pray that we would be bold enough this morning to ask a few questions. Where are we still living lives that are unholy because we know you have better for us that we'd really give those things over to you what, what are the things in our life that we're prone to, to kind of be intoxicated with the world and to not be sober minded God would you show us those things and so God I, I just believe you have fullness of life available for us you desire that for us greater things <laughs> and so could we walk in those as your children for your glory and our good and it's in Jesus name that I pray amen